John chapter 4, the whole chapter verses 1 through 21. Uh, although, uh, going the way that I generally go, that means we'll cover maybe verses 1 through 3. So we'll see how, <laughs> we'll see how far we can get today. Uh, before we get into the study of God's Word, let me uh, open in prayer. Gracious Lord and God, you who love us perfectly and completely uh, and with a holy and a discerning love in Jesus Christ, thank you that you have gathered us here today. You've gathered us by your Spirit uh, to hear your word, uh, which you have given uh, to holy men as they were carried along. Uh, you have given us your word and, and revealed yourself perfectly. <clears throat> oh Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us wisdom, uh, perfect us in love, uh, help us to grow more and more in the love of Jesus as we speak with one another, as we are sharpened by your word. Uh, help us to understand more of who you are and what it is that you've done that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, uh, that we have uh, been born of God and we have come from you and we understand the things that you have given to us. Help us, uh, gracious Lord, uh, to receive these things uh, and to lay them up in our hearts uh, that we may not sin against you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are today in uh, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 21 and then jump right into it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearing and to our understanding. Um, we've spoken already several times in our study of First John and the way that uh, it's hard to pinpoint exactly the structure uh, that John is giving us and the structure that lays behind his arguments. Um, and this is very different from Paul because Paul, uh, for all of his digressions and all of his rabbit trails, generally sticks to a, a pretty straightforward structure. Uh, and in many of Paul's letters, uh, we can almost divide the letter somewhere in half, or at least in two pieces, whether one is larger than the other is maybe a different idea, um, and one where he's generally giving us the truth of the gospel and another half where he's applying the truth of the gospel. Uh, in John, these, again, are intertwined, but he does, I think in the, the two sections that we have today, he does give us some commands. That's what Paul does. He, he teaches us about the gospel and he commands us with regard to the gospel and tells us what we ought to do and not do, put on and put off, and all those sorts of commands. Here, we have two sections in John's letter. Each of them begins with a command. I think uh, the ESV has done a really good job uh, of breaking down the text for us. Sometimes paragraph divisions, sometimes these little subheadings uh, can, can be distracting at best, misleading sometimes, uh, but this actually is pretty good. There are two main sections, and the second section has two parts. Uh, the first section has to do with testing. It has to do with discernment. Uh, verses 1 through 6, John wants us to be discerning people. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And then verses 7 through the end of the chapter in 21, uh, he wants us to love one another. Uh, and that love shows up, again, in, uh, in two separate sections. One, a, a command to love. Uh, and then, uh, secondly, he speaks of um, the character of love and, and how we know what love is uh, and, and where love comes from. Although those, again, those ideas are uh, intertwined as well. So let's start with this first one, this idea uh, that we ought to be discerning. Um, there is a, a need for discernment in the Christian life. And my other uh, introductory comment should have been that, that these two ideas uh, rightly should be intertwined uh, as well. So discernment and love. And if, if we separate these two in our minds and in our lives, uh, we will miss the point of both of them. Uh, he, he wants us to be discerning Christians, to seek out the truth, but he also wants us to be loving Christians, uh, and true love will, will involve discernment. Uh, love isn't just sort of a, something that we spread indiscriminately, and that's not the way that the Lord loves. He has a particular people, uh, and, and we ought to love particular things. That's one of the uh, the ideas of love that we find in our culture, that, that love is simply permissiveness and, and there's no discernment. It's just whatever you like, I'm, I'm for you, and that's good, and as long as you're happy. Um, but, but true love, God's love, and the love that's reflected in us ought to be discerning. Uh, and true discernment isn't simply how do we separate ourselves from others, but, but how do we zero in on what is good and what is true? How do we build up one another in love? And so these ideas are together. So that, that's my last uh, introductory statement. So let's consider this idea of uh, discernment uh, together. Um, 
notice that one of the major phrases that's repeated in almost every verse of this first section uh, is this idea of being from God or sometimes from the world. This is the major distinction that he's making here, the, the call for us uh, to be discerning about what is from God or what is uh, from the world. And this returns to the idea of the spirit of, of the Antichrist, which John equates uh, with uh, false prophecy. Um, and I think he, he gives us a few tests, a few ways that we can grow in our uh, discernment. And I have my own ideas about what he's doing here. Um, but, but what are the, the levels of discernment that you see that John is giving us? How can you know if something is from God, if it's a spirit, and, and maybe we need to talk about what he means by spirit. How can you know if a spirit is from God or from the world? What are some of the different levels or the, or the tests that he gives us uh, by which we ought to discern a teaching or a movement in the church or a, however you want to call it, these these spirits, what are the levels of discernment that he's giving us? Ronnie? Okay. So Jesus has come in the flesh. Now we know from our discussion already, this is one of the major points of disagreement between John and, and if he is dealing with uh, a sort of proto-Gnosticism, a docetism. This is one of the ideas that we've talked about, uh, that many were saying, no, 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 Jesus hasn't come in the flesh. It looked like he came in the flesh. That's not really what was going on. Uh, and so John lays this out, right, uh, verse 2. Here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay, is that, is that all we need, or, or is, it, is it just as simple as that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was a real person? Okay, great, you, you must be from God. Is it, is it that simple, or, or does he have more behind that statement there? I, I saw Scott first, and we'll come to Rob. <laughs> okay, we'll go to Rob first, and we'll come to Scott. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. Where do you see that? <laughs> Seven? Yep. 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 Okay. Okay. Verse 17. So we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Are those two related? This, this first one that we have in verse 2, whoever acknowledges that, uh, that Christ has come in the flesh is from God, uh, and you're saying that another test for discernment is, uh, is this teacher saying that there, there is such a thing as confidence. We might call it assurance of salvation. Um, are, are those related in some way? How so? Scott, are you ready for your comment, or we want to keep going? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting thought. Um, and not because it's just an easy question to refute, but in a sense to play devil's advocate. Does that mean uh, that, that a test for orthodoxy ought to be, does the world like what we're doing or not? As long as the world doesn't enjoy what we're doing in the church, hey, we're okay. And so, so maybe it's, um, it's, a, it's a negative test. If the world loves what you're doing, uh, yeah, thank you. That, that's what I, it was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, yeah. Um, could you repeat that phrase that I was going to say that you got, to, <laughs> I, I forgot what you said. Uh, necessary but not sufficient, Right. Um, that if, if the world really, oh man, the, the unbelieving world is so comfortable with everything the church is doing, the church ought to be worried. Right, right, and, and there is no distinction. And so, so that's why they ought to be worried that, that they're no longer separate from the world. There, there's no longer any distinction. That's, that's the whole idea between discernment. Are you from God? Or are you from the world? Does the world love what you're doing? Now, there are lots of things that people do in the name of Christ or in the name of the church uh, that are offensive to the world that, that don't need to be offensive to the world. And we could go so far in the other direction and say, well, as long as the world hates everything we're doing, uh, then we must be on the right track. As long as we're, we're offensive and we're in everybody's face. Uh, and sometimes you see that. I think that's the exception rather than the rule. But sometimes you see churches that will go that far in that direction. Ronnie? Yeah. 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 So this idea of, um, you know, one of the things connected to this, uh, this loving aspect. When you go back and you start to read some of the documents from the early centuries of the church, um, while it was still this this fringe group, and everybody's trying to figure out what are these Christians doing. There, there was a lot of slander that went around the church. Uh, there was a lot of talk about. Uh, oh, they talk about eating the body and the blood of their Savior, so they must be cannibals. And they talk about having a love feast, so they must be really promiscuous, and I bet when they're getting together, they're, they're just having this big sort of sexual thing happening. And there's so much slander. But one of the things that comes up when you read some of these, there's a famous letter, uh, I think, to the Emperor, Emperor Hadrian, I think. Um, and, uh, and the person who's writing back, he's, he's explaining Christianity, and the point that he makes is how they love one another. There's a witness to the world. And even if the world would disagree, and they don't, uh, they don't agree with the way that we speak about sin and redemption and all these things and the needs that, that are present in the gospel, that it, that it, it surfaces in our lives, um, there are some things that, that the world ought to be able to look at us and say, well, that's, that's pretty good. In fact, it's a qualification of an elder in the church that he ought to have good repute with outsiders. Um, so, so yeah, in this idea of the world uh, listening or loving, um, we need to be discerning. We, we, we don't want to just, let's do anything that makes the world unhappy with us. Um, let's stick to our guns. Let's, let's have our convictions. Let's not, uh, let's not move on some of these things. But, but we do also have to present ourselves, and much more than ourselves, we need to present Christ in the church well to the outside world. Uh, so that when, what is it, First Peter, 
so that when men uh, speak slanderously against you, uh, your deeds may correct them, and, and, and they, may, uh, they may say, basically, that, that you actually are, are godly people and, and good people. Scott. Yeah, and then we get into all, all, yeah, and we get into all these questions of how does the church relate to the culture around us, and do we just segregate? Do we, you know? But I, I, I like your idea here that, that um, it's not just about do we pride ourselves with how different from the world we are. Well, we ought to be different from the world. There ought to be a distinction that that we don't look like the we don't have the 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 social mores of the world. We don't we don't follow the same. Um, ideas and desires that the world has. We ought to be different, but part of our difference should make us compassionate, not prideful. Uh, you know, and, and the, uh, the Pharisee looks up to heaven and says, oh, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. Uh, I've, I've really got it together. Uh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the world. That, that should not be uh, the, um, the point. But, but there is this level of discernment. Does the world like what you're doing? Is the world just uh, happy clappy about everything going on in the church? Lee. Are we called to discern individuals? Well, individually are you called to discern? Um, That's a good question, Lee. <laughs> That's a really good question, um, and and one that might come up uh, for some of us. Uh, yeah. So, especially I would say in regards. Here you go, Lee. Um, <laughs> I would say especially in regards um, to those who have any sort of authority in raising or teaching or protecting others, um, discernment needs to be very keen um, and almost ruthless. In the sense that, that I um, would expose myself for the sake of gospel witness to someone, you know, on the street who just total profligate, terrible language, anything you can think, you know, the image in your mind, the worldly sinner. Uh, I, I could uh, personally go and, and meet with that person and talk to them. Um, I might think twice about how I bring them into my home and sit them down with my children. Same thing in the church. Um, and, I, and I think same thing not only uh, with regards to the out-and-out worldly sinner, but those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. And I think especially in the church, when, if any of you ever have a, a chance to go to our missions committee meeting, um, we try to be pretty discerning in the missionaries that we support. 
Not because there aren't lots of really good things. Uh, not because, you know, we only think the gospel uh, moves forward in tiny, conservative, confessional, reformed circles. Uh, but we want to be discerning, and we, we want to uh, do the best possible good for the sake of the, the gospel in Christ's name in the world. And so we will discern between so-and-so's doing this and, and they're requesting some money, and we might say, yeah, they're probably doing something good, but we're not going to support them. We're not going to partner with them. Um, I think there are lots of different levels that we could, we could think about this. And, and part of uh, discernment um, for the church I'm, I'm not trying to track. Well, I, I think it's hard to separate those two. Think of a, a situation, say, in 1 Corinthians 5. There's someone in the church, professes to be a believer, yet he has uh, his father's wife. Uh, and everybody is proud. Uh, and Paul not only condemns the man who has his father's wife, but he condemns everybody else in the church. Ought you not rather to mourn? Haven't you looked at this situation the way that it should be? Don't you have discernment as to what's going on? Because you should have discernment because even the Gentiles wouldn't put up with this. And there's something wrong with a church when the individuals within the institution put up with out-and-out out sin. But how is that sin to be dealt with? It's, it's to be dealt with institutionally. There, there is a church the Lord has established and a, a, a structure he has put in place how do we deal with those who show up in the church and claim to be angels of light and yet live like the servants of Satan? Well, we, we deal with them through the channels of the church. Individuals, I think, yes, need to be discerning, um, but, but there are proper levels there. So I saw Brian and then Chris. That's not good. That's <laughs> not good. Yeah. 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 And that's one example of how that virtue of love is being corrupted and used to destroy the church rather than to increase the church. Absolutely. Yeah. So the immediate context of this passage is false teachers. Okay? Uh, and the discernment that is needed within the church regarding those who would show up and say, I've got this revelation for you. Now, there are lots of different ways that people can be false 
teachers, um, and, and it may happen you know, because somebody has a, a formal platform. Oh, I've been, you know, I'm a minister of so-and-so. Uh, Frank, I don't remember. Uh, we got an email uh, yesterday on the way to this event we were going to, uh, and it was advertising some event in Westford, um, Prophet so-and-so, and his father will be here. Um, I would say that's a false prophet. I, 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 haven't, seen the whole, I haven't seen the whole spiel. Um, but when you begin with, oh, this is a prophet here to give us new revelations. Okay, let, let's be discerning about this. Um, and, and what's the proper response? We could go in, in a lot of different directions there. But, but yeah, the immediate context is false teaching. I think that, that's what he means by spirits. Test the spirits. When people show up, um, and, and Paul says, if even an angel from heaven were to preach to you a gospel other than the one that you received, let him be a curse. Let him be anathema. Um, but there is a level, I think, Lee and Brian, that, that we need to do this individually as well. Um, but there are proper channels for discipline. We've spoken of discipline several times in a, a book that doesn't really uh, have a whole lot to do with formal discipline. This is uh, amazing how often this comes up. Uh, but there are formal channels within the church to deal with, with cases of discipline, um, and those ought to be observed. Uh, believing that the Lord has established his church in the world and is a representative of him. Chris, did you want to add to that? Yeah, there's, there's an important aspect of this, this discernment, that it's not just um, to make ourselves feel good, but there is a protection element for the church. And, and that comes back to that, that idea of uh, those who are in positions of authority or teaching in the church ought to have a real discernment as to what they let in the doors. Because they're, they're leading and shepherding the flock who is under their care. to give an account. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Teresa, you were going to add to that discussion. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, he believes that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Yes. He passes that first test, and he seems to be a very loving person. And he is a very loving person. He also everything about him is love. Yeah. He also knows the other degree, the father who is the degree from Let me turn this back around to the rest of you because I think there are a few other tests in this passage that would speak to this. You've got your Mormon friend and you say, uh, let's, let's call your uh, Mormon friend Mitt uh, for sake of uh, <laughs> argument. You say, Mitt, uh, you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You're a very loving person it seems like you've got two really good things going for you, and 1 John seems to tell me that, that you might actually be from God, and, and uh, you, you've at least passed these two locks into the channel, right? And so what else in this passage might help us to deal with, what about these other things? What, what about Trinity, and, and can you have celestial wives, and is Jesus on the planet Kolob, and uh, all of these other things... Um, what would we do with that, Frank? Okay, so where does that show up? Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Okay? Uh, now, Mormons would say, yeah, he's the Son of God. We're all sons of God. We're all the celestial children of Heavenly Father. That, that's, that would be the response, right? And, and I, let me tell you before we go any further, I'm no expert on Mormonism. I know a few things, but so far they would say, good, 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 here we are. Yep, yep. So verse 9. Mm-hmm. Good. Chris, were you going to add to that? Yeah. Now we're getting the discussion going. Okay. Golden plates given yeah. to Joseph Smith and all that sort of thing, yeah. So if you look at what it says in Revelation about being able to add any more, there's a 
Tim. Verse 10. What's verse 10 say? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're talking about who Jesus is and what he's done and why he's come, does Jesus come to propitiate to the Father? Now, this is a, this is a word that is uh, specific to John. Uh, the, in our English Bibles, the word propitiation will show up in a few other places, specifically in Romans, I believe, uh, but it's a different word that John uses, and scholars kick this back and forth, uh, and they wonder, is this actually what it sounds like? So propitiation is really to appease. It would be an appeasing sacrifice that, that you are dealing with a wrathful God uh, who, is, uh, who is rightly angry at the sin of people, and there is a sacrifice that removes the anger. Uh, and so here is, when we think about this, um, we're, the idea of propitiation is an angry God, right? Um, and, and people say, well, no, that couldn't be what the Bible means because God is love, right? But John knows this. In fact, he has just said in verse 10, here is love that God sent his son he loves his people so much that he sends his son as a sacrifice to deal with the anger that rightly comes from him. He not only is the righteous judge of all the earth, but he is the only savior of all the earth. And, and this, I'm not entirely sure. Like I said, I'm not a, uh, a scholar of, of Mormon doctrines, but I don't, I don't know how they would respond to that, whether uh, our problem is, do we need to have our sins uh, propitiated? Do we have, need to have the anger of God removed or not? Uh, I'm not sure how that would would deal with that particular statement, but, but this is the idea that is central, that, you know, when we go back to this statement that began us, Ronnie, um, you pointed out verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Uh, there's a, a lot behind that here. He's not just giving us one little statement, anyone who confesses that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. Uh, that's not the only thing you need, but there's a little theological weight behind this idea of the Christ. It's the anointed one. Uh, he is the Messiah. He is God's chosen Savior. Uh, there's a lot of freight being pulled by that one little word, Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. Um, it's not just an identifier. It's saying not only uh, that he came, but why he came. He came to be the Savior. Uh, and, if, and if we're not believing that Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, then we're believing in a, in a different gospel, in a different Christ. And Paul, in Galatians, would say, anybody who believes in a different gospel, let them be accursed. Now, I think there is one other test um, that, that we need to see here, and it shows up in verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, um, a lot of people... Uh, cynically might look at that and say, well, that's pretty pompous. Here's how you know if, uh, if somebody is from God or from the world, do they, do they teach what I teach? And he's drawing a line in the sand and saying, if you agree with us, who is the, the us, by the way? The apostles. So this was the we all the way back in the first chapter, uh, that which was manifest in the flesh, which we have touched and we have seen and we have handled, and we proclaim to you God had his witnesses in the world, his apostles, to speak of the fleshliness of Jesus the Messiah. And he's saying we're the ones who were his, his witnesses. 
And here's another test. Do you submit to the apostolic witness? Or do you, uh, you know, it's interesting, Chris, you brought up revelations. Anybody who adds to this book, let him be accursed. Who wrote Revelation? Same apostle. Same apostle who wrote this, who says, anybody who doesn't listen to us is not actually from God. And, and in Revelation, he says, if you add to it. I think that's a way of not listening. You know, that was a way of not listening in the garden. Uh, has, has God said that you may not eat? Well, he said, not only may we not eat, but we can't even touch that tree. Well, Eve, you weren't listening, were you? You added to it. You, you, you added your own interpretation. Uh, and I think the, this is another test that we need to have. Do you submit to the apostolic witness? Now, we're going to have disagreements over what the apostles might mean at a particular point. Any person, I mean, I, I went and I, I'm, uh, we went to this event yesterday and I ran into a friend from seminary uh, who is a pastor at a Reformed Baptist church in Watertown. Uh, incidentally, it's called Redeemer Fellowship Church. Uh, and I, I have no qualms about his orthodoxy. I think he's a really great guy, but we disagree on who ought to be baptized. Now, we're going to disagree on that, but we would both come back together and say, well, we need to start with the foundation of the apostolic witness. We need to go to what God has given. And so there, we need to discern between infighting, between believers on, on doctrinal points, and the idea of, do you accept the witness of the apostles or do you reject the witness of the apostles? The witness of the apostles is uh, that Jesus Christ came uh, to die for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that on the third day he rose according to the scriptures. And there are apostles that saw him. That's the gospel. And you, you stand in this gospel. You're being saved by this gospel unless you've believed it in vain, unless you've stopped listening to this gospel, unless you've cast it aside. Here's where our discernment needs to begin. What do we say about Jesus and who he was and what he did? And are we willing to submit ourselves to the apostolic witness of who he is and what he did? And, and if we don't have those two, those are sort of the objective truths. Uh, love is something that we, we look at and there is an objective reality. God has demonstrated love, but but that's more subjective. Does this person seem loving to me? And we get caught up on this. Well, don't, don't confuse uh, the subjective experience of somebody else's love with the objective reality of do they submit to the apostolic witness. And suddenly the room went silent. Teresa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. All the ones who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and only Savior for sinners will go to heaven. Yep, yep. Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, it doesn't matter what label you have on the outside. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes, yeah. Which Jesus is the question. Right. Yeah, and, and with our friend Mitt or with any of our, you know, a Jehovah's Witness who shows up on your door, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to use the same terms that you use, 
And how do you separate truth from error? You go back to the apostolic witness. Um, again, we, we could make the whole class, if we knew enough, we could, we could deal with a lot of these other things. But, Teresa, you dealt with a very similar experience in the Unitarian Church. You went to them and you said, I want to know about Jesus, the Son of God, and they got a little bit into it, and then they went, yeah, you know, there are lots of ideas. And what you needed and what you did eventually is you, you dug into the apostolic witness. What do the apostles say about who Jesus is? Good. Yeah. And, and where did you find him? In a Baptist church. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was raised Baptist, but you know what? yeah, we're, we're great with the Baptists. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. No, but, but our Baptist brothers and sisters, I would call them that, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, because they, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as, as, you know, one of the persons of the triune Godhead. I think there's, there's an orthodoxy there and understanding not only that he is man, but he is fully God, fully man. Uh, we wouldn't disagree on that. We wouldn't disagree on what our fundamental problem is, sin. We wouldn't disagree on, on what the, the uh, remedy is. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, and yeah, we'll have lots of differences. We have lots of differences here in this congregation. Uh, I mean, if you really want to get it, we don't have to go to the Baptist to, to deal with differences. Um, and so now we, what, what's that? Okay. okay. Uh, but, and so here's the other piece of this, that we need very clearly to delineate what are the boundaries. This is part of what, what John's dealing with. He's not saying, are you Presbyterian or Baptist or amillennialist or premillennialist or any of these other things, because none of those terms existed yet. Um, but he's saying there's a, there's a more fundamental difference. It's are you from God or from the world? And once we have gotten past, do you profess the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you submit yourself to apostolic teaching? Are you growing in love through the work of the Holy Spirit? There ought to be a lot of love between believers who can agree on those things, despite our differences. So our discernment, our, our love rather, has to be discerning, we don't just go out and, yeah, anybody who, who claims to have a, a church, just call it a church and you're good, you're in. We have to have some discernment as to what's going on, but our discernment also has to be loving. That when we look at one another in this room, those that have differences, we ought to love one another. In fact, look at the definition of, uh, of love that we have. Um, verse 11, let's back it up to verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Same word we've seen already. It showed up. God's love showed up, just like his light showed up. His love was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, what is the model for love that we have there? What is that little word, so, in verse 11? If God so loved us, if God thus loved us, or in this manner, if this was the way that God loved us by sending his son, how ought we to love one another? What is the fundamental doctrine of love within the church? Service? Bill? Bill? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sacrifice, Rob? Did, I, heard, I heard something from your direction. Oh, okay. Sometimes that happens. Okay. Or, you know, dying ourselves. There's, yeah, there's that too. In fact, um, Scott, did you raise the, the foot washing idea? I think this is exactly what John has in mind. Let's turn back to John 13. We won't read the whole thing. Where's John? There it is. John 13. Look at verse 1, if you're there. It says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, during supper when the devil had already put into it, and, and then it goes through the foot washing. It starts that whole idea of Jesus serving rather than being served with this idea it was motivated by his love that was already perfect. Having loved them, uh, this is a, a past perfect here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then the rest of that section is look at the way that he loved them. It displays his love. In fact, we know that because at the end of that, when he gets done washing their feet, uh, take a look down at uh, verse 34. This is, um, so another, another bracket, sorry, just to get the structure of what's happening here. Uh, 13 verses 1 and 2, first is a picture of love, and then it zeroes in on Judas Iscariot, and Jesus washes all the disciples' feet, and then in uh, verse 31, Judas Iscariot leaves. So this passage is bracketed by love and Judas, and then Judas is gone, and then Jesus gets back to love. When he had gone out, this is verse 31, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. That's the hour that was coming. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I say to you also, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment. Does that sound familiar from our readings in 1 John? I give you a new commandment, which is not new, but is new in Jesus, actually. Um, and here's what he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How often are we able to legitimately say that about ourselves? And th this is not a question to make us feel guilty uh, or to beat yourself up. Have you loved one another enough today? But wouldn't it be amazing if rather than just the offense of the gospel, and the gospel is offensive to unbelievers, wouldn't it be amazing if believers came to us like they, like they wrote about Christians? Unbelievers came to us the way that they wrote about Christians in the first century to Hadrian and said, look at the way they love one another. This is, this is you know, Brian, we love one another in the church in such a way that they want to be a part of our community. 
and this is what Jesus is giving us. As I, just as I have loved you, so also you ought to love one another. This is the model for love in the church. It's self-sacrifice. Now, there are a thousand and one ways we could, we could apply this. Um, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to love one another in the church sacrificially? Well, it might mean that that lonely person that has no one else to talk to in the coffee hour who stands there by themselves, you go over and talk to them. There's self-sacrifice. I, I want to grab my coffee. I want to get my donut. There's some apples over there that looks good. I want to, I want to, I want to do me, right? I want, I want to take care of me and my needs, but self-sacrifice says you go and, and you talk and you have fellowship. That's, oh, that's surface level. It gets so much deeper. Uh, it gets so much deeper when you, when you know one another in the church and you know the needs that are in the church and you know uh, what goes on, but there's a certain love that you need to have to get to that point, to have enough personal conversation, to love one another enough to open your home, to have them into your home, to say, what is life like for you right now? How, is, uh, how are things going? What is the Lord doing in, in your heart and in your life? That's love. That's, that's putting aside, well, it, our kids have soccer on Saturdays, and so I can't, we're busy. We, we can't have anybody over. Uh, well, yeah, you have soccer, but, but deal with, you know, how do you, how do you invite the others? How do you love sacrificially? And that might mean that you sacrifice your schedule might mean that you sacrifice your leisure time. It might mean that you sacrifice something else. And we could go on and on and on, and believe me, I could. Um, you've seen it happen. So, <laughs> so I think this is, this is so important that he's got these two ideas that are together, this idea of discernment. And we spoke a lot about discernment, mostly about discernment today. Um, but from within the church, our discernment really needs to be loving. Uh, this, is, this is the part uh, that I think we need most of all. Praise the Lord, we're not a church that's overrun with false teaching. You know, and I'm not superstitious, knock on wood or whatever. Um, praise the Lord, we're a, we're a church that's not overrun with false teaching. And that's not a point for pride. Um, but, but dealing with these two issues, the one that we need most of all in the church and I think the one that, that really shows up in our daily lives is how do we love one another? Do we love one another the way that he loved us? And so also, and, and do we give of ourselves? And, and just thinking through in your own life, in your own family, what does that look like? How can we grow in love? You know, in the previous chapter, John said, let's not love just in word or talk. Oh, we like to talk about love. Um, and, and the pastor can go on and on because we like to talk about love. But, but doing love and, and word and deed is another matter. Chris. Mm-hmm. 
which rut do you want to fall into? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the idea that um, this is an impossible job apart from him, which is what Chris is getting, whoever receives the one I send, well, we need the one he sends for love. Uh, and we need the one that he sends, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Notice those two themes that have, that have been going back and forth. In fact, three, several times he said... Uh, in this, we know that we abide in him. If we confess that Jesus is the Christ, because his spirit lives in us, and if we love one another. And, and those aren't necessarily, you know, separate ideas. Um, I think he's giving us the same picture on three different levels. Why do we confess Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, and, and we abide in God through faith, that's going to produce something that we can't produce on our own, loving one another. And so throughout 1 John, he's got these three different ideas, and I think they're really tied together. Uh, in this, we know that we belong to him, that he abides in us, that we confess Jesus is the Christ, the Spirit indwells us, and we love one another, because apart from the Spirit, we couldn't do either of those other two. Um, that's a good place to stop. Um, but before we stop, uh, take, a look, take a look at verse 17, and this will be it. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. This is another reminder of the love that we ought to have reflects his love. His love is perfected in us. Not that we are perfected in this life because we love enough. Oh, I, I'm ticking the love box until I get them all right. Uh, no, no, no. This is, love is brought to its, its right purpose. It's perfected. It's, it comes into uh, its, its true end when we love one another, and when we love one another, we are in the world as he was in the world. We are representatives of Christ. This goes back to that family resemblance idea that we were talking about last week. Not children of the devil, but children of God. And we resemble him in the way that we love one another. And this produces that confidence at the day of judgment. That we not have fear before him when he comes again in the flesh as he will. Um, not that our love is, is what produces the confidence, but... The Holy Spirit's working love into us is, is giving us reason for confidence. So uh, let's pray, and let's uh, have some fellowship together and love one another. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would strengthen us by it. We pray that you would give us hearts to love one another, give us discernment, oh, submit us to your word, and uh, to the apostles that you have given, help us to have ears that are open. Uh, help us to hear from them and not to add anything uh, and to be humble before your word as it lays us bare, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.